entertaining talk anywhere. Stay tuned to LA Talk Radio. Your real time your real 24 hours of commercial free programming. The Green Room is brought to you today by Amazon. Log on to SeanTGreen.com and click the Amazon link to support The Green Room today. And now, live from Sherman Oaks, California, the host of The Green Room, Sean Green. All right, everyone. Welcome to the program. We're doing it live here on LA Talk Radio. Appreciate everyone for tuning in. Feel free to give us a call at any point on the LegalZoom self-help hotline, 323-203-0815, LegalZoom.com. Trademarks, patents, wills. They got it all, and make sure you uh, enter the referral code GREEN to tell them your buddy Sean Green sent you. Uh, in studio, we have my, uh, Spuds McKenzie, a stand-up personal friend, Adam Jacobs. Adam, thanks for being on the show. No problem, man. Anytime. <sighs> man, and we do have an amazing show for you besides some stuff we're going to get to. We also have a special guest coming in. He's the author of a, uh, a very cool book that we're going to be getting into, Josh Axelrad. He's an author about a uh, – he wrote a book about blackjack and card counting. It's real exciting. He won 700 grand playing blackjack, counting nice. cards. Nice. Ended up losing it all. I know I know that feeling, <laughs> except the part of um, winning 700 grand. I know the part of losing it all. Yes. Not necessarily 700 grand. Essentially, whatever I've taken out at the ATM at that moment. But right, right now, right now I've uh, – got to say I have bigger fish to fry. I was watching the goddamn Cavaliers game. I'm a big LeBron James fan, or at least I was until these past two games, and he has no heart, I tell you. The past two games, this you you showed the heart of of a pickup basket. My dad has more heart. When my dad is pounding for rebounds at the YMCA, <laughs> he has more heart than LeBron James showed in Game 5 and Game 6 versus the Boston Celtics. The sure. entire time he was trying to pass the ball up. You take it to the hole, goddamn it, you're LeBron James. I want to shoot a lot, and I'm 5'9", and I'm not that good at basketball. You're supposed to be the best basketball player of all time. Show some goddamn heart. Yeah. And it's so annoying because I wasn't into basketball my entire – first off, any t- any sports thing I've ever followed has ever, has always fallen apart. So when I first <laughs> – well, the, the Philadelphia Eagles, that's been my main sports team my entire life. They've never won a championship. They just got rid of – what was supposed to be their franchise player, Donovan McNabb. So that whole time, that 10 years invested in my life, that was a total waste of time. The baseball team I first got into was the Chicago White Sox. They had guys like Frank Thomas, Jack McDowell, Joey Cora at second base. They never put it together. They suck. And I, I'd, I'd always been weary of the NBA. I'd always been taught by my dad that I don't know basketball is bad or something. It was just it was just seen in our house NBA no NBA. I came out here. I started this after I broke my foot. I started. I was like, all right, I got to start working out. So I started playing basketball. Started getting into basketball. I was like, all right, I'll start watching basketball now that I'm into basketball. Hey, Sean, you're you're getting into the game. What's a good team to pick? Hey, how about the team with the best goddamn player? Supposedly the best <laughs> basketball player since Michael Jordan. Hey, why don't you get on that bandwagon? There's plenty of room right now. And how does that work out? Awful. Now he's going to go to some team like the shitty Knicks, or so, and you're never going to hear from him again. He's going to be the Dan Marino of the NBA. <laughs> you suck, LeBron James. Well, he did win. 
He didn't win anything. He won in high school. Who cares? High school doesn't matter. The pros matter. Everyone wants to hate on Kobe. Kobe wins games, goddammit. He takes care of business. He beats rape charges, and he wins championships. That's all that man has ever done his entire life. Sadly enough, I have to agree with you. I don't like Kobe either, but he's obviously the best player in the league. He doesn't pass at the end of the game. He shoots it and wins it. Yes! You're not trying to be a good teammate in the fourth quarter of a of yeah. game eliminating of elimination game. Yeah. You're not supposed to pass it off to Anderson Varejao. No. He's not the guy you want taking the ball you to the not, hole. You it's you. A guy named Varejao taking the last shot in a basketball game. Maybe a soccer game, maybe. But basketball. God damn it! He no, looks I, like a soccer player. Don't get me started on soccer. <laughs> I'm gonna. I think I'm just gonna start following the U.S. soccer team so they get out of the World Cup early, so I don't have to hear from. Oh, everyone in America, oh, soccer, it's the new sport. It's Hey, it came over from Europe. It's got to be cool, right? Hey, look at they got short shorts. Hey, they got they they only use their legs, but it's really physical. I'm waiting for cricket. I'm ass. waiting for cricket to catch on. I really am. I'm waiting for that to be the big <laughs> fad cricket in America. It's coming in 2012. Jesus Christ. I'm angry. I was I, <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I was that that felt good. I felt I felt like I had to stick it to LeBron James. Just oh man, just totally dying on the team. It was a lack of effort. It it would be different the other times they lost. He was still putting up big points. He was still trying to score, trying to control the game. Showed none of that. Yeah, I don't know what's what's up with him this this year. The past couple seasons, at least the last like four out of the past five or six seasons, he's put it down in the playoffs. Like in, in yeah, games, you can't blame games, it on your no. teammates this no. time. Yeah, you I can't don't know. Bl- Shaq showed up. They no, but they got they made a trade. They got Antoine Jameson. They got some pe- more pieces. It's it's all it's all him. Not you can't blame the team. LeBron James LeBron. sucks. Basketball sucks. I hate everything. <laughs> in other news, the Green Room got nominated for uh, podcast of the month on the podcastfan.com. So yeah, if you want to vote for that, feel free to log on to podcastfan.com. You can. Vote once a day. I don't, if you're bored at work, feel free. We can always appreciate the publicity. We recently did the one-year show. That was a good time. Great time. That will. I'll be releasing uh, the audio of that soon. That's going to be an iTunes exclusive, so you're going to have to subscribe to the show to get that special one-year show. So I uh, share a couple anecdotes here before we have uh, Josh on the program. I, I had a stand-up show the other night. It was Tuesday, I think. And I had some time in between. I had two shows, or I, I taped some other guys' podcasts, the uh, the morning after podcast. I, I'll I'll tweet the link when it's up. Did his show. Then I had an hour to kill. I was over on Venice Boulevard, right off the 405. There, kind of. I don't know how to describe the area. It's it's a okay neighborhood. It's not the best. Not great. Yeah, it's weird. It's that the area. If, if you're not familiar with Los Angeles, the area right over there, Venice Boulevard, 405, it, it alternates a lot by block. So it'll be, hey, nice, hey, this is a nice block, nice area, convenient, and then super shady block. Kind of goes back and forth as to how, how the area it's is. It's like that murky area where, like, saltwater and freshwater meet. <laughs> right. Where it's like, you know, it's like, oh, some fish can swim up here, but some fish will die, and some people die there. It's Right. Crazy. It's it's hit or miss, to say the, say the best. I went, I was like, all right, I have some time to kill, started walking around. I saw a bowling alley. I was like, ah, I'm not going to bowl by myself. I'm not going to go into the bowling <laughs> diner and drink a beer. And then I walked by this other bar, and it was called this, – this was just what it was called, the name of the bar, Mexican Bikini Bar. <laughs> and nice. I walked down, and I was like, I don't want any part of that, or do I? All right, I got to go check it out just to, just for at least the story to see what happens well, you, in a Mexican bikini you bar. You got to verify that it is a Mexican bikini bar. You have to, you can't just you know take a book by its cover. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. And – 
what was going to make or break it was the cover charge. I was like, all right, we'll see what the cover charge is. $3. Ah, I got to see what these chicks look like in bikinis. <laughs> so you, you sucker me in. So I'm in there. It's basically just this hole-in-the-wall bar, totally Mexican-themed, obviously. The chicks are all right. There's maybe three or four chicks. It's weird. They're just kind of hanging out in bikinis, and guys are just – I don't know. I don't know what the whole deal was. It seemed like they would just pay them money to shoot pool with them, and the guys kept just hugging these chicks in bikinis. <laughs> very, very interesting scene. I'm just sitting there drinking a beer, soaking it all up. I'm interested. White guy comes up to me and he goes, uh, "Hey man, just thought thought I'd say hi because you're the only other white person to see here. Hey man, how's it going?" And just trying to <laughs> first off, that's such a weird way to start a conversation. Very weird. Like, oh hey yeah, my brother, white guy. Meanwhile, <laughs> he's this insanely drunk 45 year old with really bad breath, just getting in my grill, just just going uh, explaining how awesome a place this is, it's getting kind of spit on me. It's, it's really weird. And then he's he's you know throwing dollars at chicks. They they all have fanny packs. That was what really threw me off. They're wearing bikinis, but also fanny packs. You gotta put the money somewhere. So that finally that guy, after avoiding eye contact for the entire time, I finally that guy finally leaves. I don't know where he goes. Then the only other race that's in there, a black guy comes up to me and goes, "Hey man, thought I'd say hi because we're the only non-Mexicans." <laughs> <laughs> It's like, what What a weird thing to do. And then right after he said that, goes, you the police, right, man? You you can tell me. You the police. I was like, no, I'm not the police. He's like, all right, man. Yo, shit's about to get crazy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, dog. Yo, that's a fine-ass bitch right there. And he, was, he kept hitting me in the arm going, you got to get with a bitch like that, man. That's a bad-ass bitch. Yo, look at that. Look at that. He was literally about to punch me because I didn't want to stare at this woman who's – she's – Two feet from me. All right, I'll, I'll look at the girls, but I don't know. I can't just <laughs> look at a chick like a piece of meat. Where it was, it was uncomfortable. He just kept hitting me in the shoulder. You gotta get a bitch like that, man. You gotta get the. You. <laughs> I was like, all right, dude, relax. I'm here hanging out. He was. He oh was, man, he was about, about to get crazy, man. He was definitely her pimp. About to get crazy. Yo, you friends with the owner, right? Yeah, yeah, that's how you. That's why you're here. You friends with the owner. I was like, no, man, oh, I'm, awesome. I'm just here hanging out. Oh yeah, you not friends with the owner? You probably friends with the owner. <laughs> he was just this guy, and then <laughs> it was so great. Ten minutes later, I see the lone black guy and the other lone white guy. <laughs> they found each other. They're, they're the arms around each other, just like hitting each other, thro- throwing their other. dollar bills around. <laughs> oh my God, those guys were awful. But I gotta say, my favorite moment was. When I saw a girl get tipped a dollar bill, grab the dollar bill in her hand, do the sign of the cross, and then slide the dollar bill into her bikini uh, top. A good, a good Catholic. And I was like, you know what? Religion makes sense sometimes. Sometimes <laughs> it just makes sense. Thank God for this dollar. <laughs> oh, man. I was, I was uh, interesting to say the least. So yeah, if you're ever in the area, go to Venice Boulevard. Check out the Mexican Bikini Bar. I think that's the name of the place. <laughs> it. it- it does its job. It tells you what's going on inside. Adam, have you heard of this new thing from Phil? I I saw it on a commercial, and I actually called it the other night. It's the idea is Philip 76 put this out. It's I think they're trying to do some social networking type thing. They're coming up with these tools of hey, we're friends with you. We're friends with guys on the road. They what they did was they set up a hotline. The commercial is hilarious. It's a it's a busy dad with a map and and the kid in the back seat just keep going. Dad, why is the sky blue? Why is the grass green? Why do cows have milk? And you know he's juggling with the map and he's you know freaking out. And Phillips 76 comes in and goes, oh, 
kid uh, asking too many questions? Just call 1-88-WHY-STOP. 1-88-WHY-STOP. And your kid can ask any question, and it'll be answered. And I was like, oh, man, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to ask all these crazy, <laughs> loony questions. Doesn't really work like that. But uh, we can actually call it right now, So, or hopefully this goes through. But here, take a listen. I didn't realize it's, uh, it looks like it's going to take a second to dial here. That's, uh... Thank you for calling the Y-Stopper, brought to you by 76 Gasoline. The road is black because it is made from asphalt, which is made from oil and tar. The kid's going to be confused. A hedgehog's heart beats 300 times a minute on average. What kid would ask that question? Your nose and ears do actually stop growing. When you're about 18 years old. They probably saw age. Grandpa. Yeah. The great white shark has the most powerful jaws on Earth. Yeah, no duh. Even kids Istanbul, know that. Istanbul, Turkey is the only city in the world located on two continents. What fucking kid yeah. would ask that? No American kid knows what murder. Istanbul or Turkey is. Tigers have striped skin, not just striped fur. Ooh. The longest recorded flight of a chicken is 13 seconds. <laughs> no, we are not there yet. Oh, you got me, 76. I just love that idea of, well, I'm not going to parent, but here, here, listen to this cell phone. You play with my phone, kid. And how late, I understand being a lazy parent, you got a kid that's chewing your ear off, but is that really going to keep the kid motivated, or keep the kid focused the entire time, just listening to that recording of the same facts every time? I called the hotline multiple times. (laughs) It's the same fucking facts. They can't even rotate different facts in. Oh, how bad is that chick doing the voiceover? Her life sucks hard. (laughs) I'm not going to make fun of her. She's working in show business. (laughs) (laughs) As much as I'd like to make fun of her, if uh, someone told me right now, hey, Sean, you want a voiceover gig? Reading simple barnyard facts for kids? Yeah, how much does it pay? Oh, nothing? What is it, some sort of internship? Yeah, all right, sure. I got I to gotta get my reel together. All right. Well, I was ragging on LeBron James earlier, but the real story, the real story these days as far as athletes, as far as interesting stuff going on is Lawrence Taylor. You heard about Lawrence oh, Taylor? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Accused of raping this chick. Turned out to be 16. Now, it's cut. he's claiming that he never had sex with her. He just paid her $300 to masturbate in front of her. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know LT's crazy, but that seems really crazy. Yeah, just, yeah, it's very crazy. But my favorite part is LT's wife immediately stood up for him. You know, LT has had his ups and downs, to say the least, <laughs> but immediately jumped to his defense. Obviously, she wasn't there when he was ordering this prostitute. Immediately came to his defense. Oh, that, that, that bitch set him up. You did lie. That pimp doesn't know what he's talking about. This is from the insider. She is. This is true love, people. Complaint filed, and they used some language in the criminal complaint that indicates that Lawrence admitted to paying <laughs> the girl $300 for sex. I don't know what he said, and I don't know why he would admit to something that he didn't do. I didn't... <laughs> That's her, Why would he admit to something he didn't do? That's the only way she can rationalize it. Oh, uh, wait, I guess Hearing there's... him speak those words. She's he definitely didn't say those words to me. <laughs> most, yeah, no shit. most guys don't admit to the prostitute to their wife right after yeah. it happens. And I don't believe that he said those words to anyone. Exclusive. Lawrence Taylor's wife on the latest arrest details. In a criminal complaint obtained by the insider, the Hall of Famer and former Dancing with the Stars contestant... 
See, that, that, what, that's what pisses me off the most. Now Insider has to cite his resume, and they have to yeah. include Dancing and with the Dancing Stars. with the Star contestant. They, they, don't, they don't mention ex-former Cokehead, uh, wrote a tell-all book about doing coke in the NFL. Why don't they cite, he revolutionized the linebacker position. Okay, that's, that's a resume true. bulletin, not... Yeah, Dancing with the Stars contestant. Oh, yeah. Very true. Or oh. Thies, Broke Theismann's leg. I think that's what everyone knows him for. Right, exactly. Not from, oh, yeah, Len really gave it to him. Allegedly told investigators that after, quote, engaging in sex acts with the victim, he paid her $300 in cash. The complaint also says that the 16-year-old was told to tell Taylor she was 19. And let's just say for a moment this is back that to his wife. this was a prostitute that was soliciting what was he supposed to do? She said she was 19. Check her ID. Are you serious? <laughs> wow. First of all, 300 bucks for a 16-year-old seems like a pretty good deal to me. Hey, especially at a, <laughs> hey, he must be a pretty frugal guy. Not only is he getting dirt cheap prostitutes, he's also meeting them at a Holiday Inn. Which I don't know if that's any sort of product placement by Lawrence Taylor, but... Definitely could be. And it was a good time. You were touching on LT and his crack. I... When I was researching this story, I also came across his 60 Minutes interview in 2003 when he wrote, released a tell-all book, Mike Wallace, getting on LT's case. There's a couple good, <laughs> a couple great clips in here. You write, I'd go through an ounce a day. There were times I'd be standing in the huddle. <laughs> I just Jeez. wanted, to, I wish I could describe the eyebrow reaction of Adam when he heard ounce a day. Jeez. Br- for anyone who's not a huge drug addict, an ounce a day, that, I don't know how he, his heart didn't explode. This is insane. Explode into giant balls of eight, just explode into eight balls everywhere across and the And instead room. of thinking what defense we were playing, I'd be thinking about smoking crack after the game. <laughs> well, I- That'd just be funny. You're in the huddle. You see LT zoning off. LT, what are you thinking about? The nickel defense? Should we blitz here? Uh, yeah. I, and that's exactly what I was thinking about. He's the game. Well, like, well, you got to understand, though, uh, it didn't affect my play <laughs> to beat NFL drug tests. Imagine you're that good at, yeah. at NFL football, that smoking crack doesn't affect your play in a negative oh, way. Man. Think about if he didn't smoke crack. That guy would be, like, have... Or maybe crack's the secret. Yeah, maybe. That's true. To all those Pop Warner kids listening to the program, maybe pick, crack's the secret. Pick up Taylor the told us his teammates would give him their urine, but he finally failed a test when the urine he'd been given turned out to be dirty. Uh, you can't trust your friends. <laughs> I just feel bad for the guy that gave LT that urine. I'm sure it's probably some rookie. Yo, rookie, give me your urine. Uh, sure thing, Mr. T. Uh, I don't know if you want. Yo, give me that. Give me that urine, son. Oh God. Damn. He failed a second drug test and was suspended for four games in 1988. His final game in 1994. Hoped that the day the Giants retired his number. For two years, he says he chased cocaine the way he had chased quarterbacks. <laughs> I just love that analogy. He great. chased cocaine like he chased quarterbacks. You just picture some guy selling crack on the corner. How's he just sticking him? <laughs> blindsides him. The crack sack just popping out like a loose football. He's he falls on His it. His leg folds up like an accordion. Ah. And of course, it's it's Mike Wallace. It's 60 minutes, so you got to go in for the kill at the end. I do anything for him, just as. Oh, sorry. Here. I love my father. This is. He's uh, reading what LT's son said to him, uh, how he introduced him at the Hall of Fame introduction. I'd do anything for him just as well as he would anything for me or my sisters Whitney, Tanisha, Paula. 
If I pick anybody to be my father, I've picked Lawrence Taylor every time. God damn it. <laughs> I just love how mad LT is at himself for blowing it by crying. He blew it. All right, well, let's see. One more quick thing. I'm sure this is all over YouTube, all over everywhere. In case you missed it, though, Tiger Woods, of course, pulled out of the TPC on Sunday. He claims it's a neck injury, claims he wasn't able to feel his arm. He claims it's a bulging disc, but, of course, there's going to be a slip-up. Oh, well, let's actually uh, hold on one second. We've got a caller right here. Caller, you're on the green room. Hey, Sean, it's your cousin Nick. Hey, Nick, what's happening, man? Thanks for tuning into the show. Hey, I'm here with your dad. I'm sleeping in your room tonight, buddy. <laughs> cool. Have fun, man. What are you What are you doing uh what are you doing What are you doing visit my family? Just hanging out, you know, taking over. <laughs> nice, man. You still live or what? There's a delay? What's going on here? Uh yeah, well I mean if you're listening to the show on the, you got to turn down the computer volume because there's a there's definitely a delay through the internet. There's gonna be a little feedback. See, that's probably what it is. My dad my dad enjoys calling into the program but still hasn't mastered the idea that you got to turn down the radio volume before you call into the show. I know that only happens on the radio. All right, Dad. This is the internet radio. What do you it's think the same thing. Hear Howard Stern or something? All right, guys. Well, uh, we got to bring our guest in, but thanks for calling in, Nick. Appreciate it. Go Flyers. All right, take it easy, man. <laughs> my dad, I, I appreciate my dad listening to the, the show. I really do. I appreciate him calling in and supporting the show. But I got to be honest, turn down the comp- – I feel like a real talk radio host when I'm yelling at guys to turn down the speakers. <laughs> All right, uh, Adam, do you mind uh, go grabbing our guest here? I was setting this clip up. Basically, Tiger Woods was at TPC Sawgrass, came out because of a bulging disc. But, of course, when the reporters – Reported on it, there was a slip-up. Went into the physical therapy trailer and then got into his SUV to leave. He says he's been playing with a bad neck for about a month and thinks it could be a bulging dick. <laughs> oh, bulging dicks. In his upper back. He has plans to get in. And that, of course, is the guy laughing on the YouTube clip that he taped off the television. All right, I'd like to welcome onto the program author of Repeat Until Rich, Josh. Axelrad, is that the correct way of pronouncing it? That's the correct. That's the first time it has ever been pronounced correctly on the air, Sean. Oh uh, wow, I appreciate it's, that. It's, everybody says Axelrod, like David Axelrod, and uh, it, you know, it's. I've gotten very used to that, so I, I appreciate your. I appreciate your nailing it. Well, now, well, thank you, man. You make me sound like a great broadcaster. I appreciate that. Well, I got to be honest. I was reading the New York Times, and I came across the very gushing book review they gave of your of your book here and I was like oh man I gotta try to get this guy on the program it sounds like a fascinating story so let's uh, let's just uh, give people a little background on your life first the the book starts when you're age 24 that's when you end up joining this blackjack team am I correct uh, about then 25 when I actually was in action okay so let's uh, let's get a little background on you what happened before that where did you grow up originally I, I grew up almost in this studio in fact I was I, I was born in Santa Monica I grew up around Southern California mainly Okay. Um, and you know, I did uh, comedy, improv, and things like that when I was oh, really? in high school. And there's a theater just down the street from here that I haven't 
looked at for like 15 or 40. I don't know how long it's been. A long time. Yeah. yeah. I guess I'm, I'm 36, so it's, it can't be 40 years. But it's sometime a long time ago. Uh, the L.A. Connection <laughs> comedy thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've I, done a couple shows there. You have. All right. Yeah, way so back in the day. I didn't even know that whether it would exist or not, but I was just driving right now, and I saw, and it looks like there's still a going concern. Both them and the Psychic Eye Bookshop, which is across the street, <laughs> are both still... I don't understand. Yeah, how bad is the economy when the Psychic Eye Bookshop can still hang around? Not only that, they're thriving. They happen to know they have... <laughs> they may not have it anymore, but for a while, they actually had a branch. They were a chain. There was a Psychic Eye in Las Vegas. I don't know if that's the case anymore. Sure. But um, I grew up in Southern California. And then uh, I went to college in New York, and I stayed out there, and... Uh, and, and I wild away those those years that you wild away when you don't know what is going to happen. Sure. Okay. So what did you and where did you go to school? I went to Columbia. Columbia, and you studied philosophy there. Uh, nominally. Nominally. What do you What do you mean by that? Like you just took philosophy my, my, courses. My bachelor's degree says, uh, you know, bachelor's of the arts in philosophy. I think. Oh, okay. I, I haven't looked at the degree itself, but that's what it ought to say. Um, my mom has it in a trunk in her house. Somewhere. Uh, somewhere in Fullerton, not so far away. Oh, okay. Um, so I don't know what it says, but su- supposedly I studied philosophy. I didn't read very much philosophy as a bad student. Right. So you're just there, kind of hanging out in New York City, fun town. What are you, what are you getting into? <laughs> um, in college? Yeah, right. What do well, we do? If, you're not, if you're not doing the reading, what do you get into? Did you party a lot in college? I, I didn't party really at all. I just I went around after one woman, and I chased her, and then I got her, and then... Uh, and then I broke up with her, and then, and, then, and then I started chasing her again. That was college. Oh, okay. So just kind of tortured love life, going after one chick. It worked out for a while, then it didn't. Yeah. Okay, so you graduate college. We're Facebook friends now. Oh, okay. She has a lovely little baby, just started walking. Not that I'm watching those videos every week. Um, yeah, yeah. Fa- Facebook does does create some weird sense of, That's do nice. I really want to know how this person's life is going, or is it better that I just never look? Yeah. Okay, so you graduate from Columbia with a degree in philosophy, and obviously, that's not a, a fast track for any sort of traditional job. <laughs> Let's be honest. So what did you? What kind of job did you get coming out of college? Well, coming out of college, I emigrated to Spain. I, I thought I was emigrating to Spain. Um, I mean, I was emigrating. I moved to Spain. I didn't okay, have any kind of... Okay, you moved to Spain. And I was in Madrid for about nine months. I taught English uh, while I was there. And, uh, and I thought that I might... I didn't really know. I didn't have any path in mind. I thought that there would be adventures. Maybe there was still a war in Spain. There were fascists right. or something. I didn't, I didn't know what was going to happen. But as it turned out... Hey, you're a philosopher. You want to soak up some life, check out Europe. Okay. That's right. Check out Europe and see, see what it's like being at war. But there, just, there was no war. Um, so I spent a little time there. I got arrested on immigration charges and uh, was not quite deported. But I ended up leaving of my own accord under a bit of a shadow. I left Europe under a bit of a shadow. Wait, what and, did what did they get you on? What did you get in trouble for? Well, I was Spain? napping. I was wrongfully napping <laughs> in a train station called Atocha, which is like a really lovely train station. They've done something really lovely, which is they took the 19th century big industrial steel uh, thing where the trains used to come in, the thing that looks scenic and like you've seen in, in old engravings from the 19th century. Okay. They built a new station attached to that. So the trains now go into the new station. And they turned the old station into like, uh, into like a greenhouse where there are things growing in it. There are shops around the periphery, and in the middle it's just paths and greenery and benches. And they looked, it would look beautiful. And I was tired one morning. I'd gotten up a little bit early to go to a class. I taught my class, and I had a little bit of time. And I lay down on a bench. And as I lay down on the bench, I was thinking that you know it's just so much lovelier than Penn State. In Penn Station, there would be bums everywhere, right? And people would be sleeping. And I thought, this is so beautiful. I'm glad they kept it nice <laughs> for me. I don't know how they do this. Yeah, how do they keep these and bums out? I woke up with a there was a a cudgel. A police officer had his truncheon. He was whacking my boot. 
That's how they keep the buns out. Oh, wow. So they thought you were a bum, so they charge you with some misdemeanor thing? Well, they just ask, as they they say in Spain, you know, like documentation, man. They say that. They want to see it. And uh, and I made the mistake of carrying my pass. I could if like I had not had my yeah it's as light Arizona is today is how Spain was except it was reversed where it was the actual you know it's it's uh, the the race configuration is different Backwards. there it was there I was some sort of Jew gringo <laughs> and uh, lying wrongfully on a bench and and I had a tie on but it looked like a suspicious tie because I didn't have any money and my clothes were ratty it's it's much worse to wear a bad tie. And, and to pretend like you're configured than to not wear a tie and to just not look at all configured. All right, so they, they saw that my visa was expired and I was hauled off okay, to jail. Okay, so you, you're hauled off to jail. You leave Europe and then you come back to New York City. I did. And I thought that I was going to become simultaneously a journalist and an architect. I didn't have a clear plan. And I was temping at an investment bank for months trying to launch joint careers in journalism and architecture, <laughs> not understanding that at least architecture you do have to – you have to study for like nine or ten years before right. you can get a Right, there's a master program. It's very complicated. Yeah, exactly. So I didn't. Oh, I was applying for jobs at architect. I didn't understand how anything <laughs> worked. And I was taking drawing classes at night because you need a portfolio to apply to a real school. But yeah. I couldn't draw. And right. I was just staring. I was staring at the model. So you didn't I mean, know what to do with your life. I was, I was lost. as far as career. Uh, right, exactly. And then they they and while I was saying they offered me and, and that's sort of that's where bankers get their employees because nobody actually. You can get money, and if you're really motivated to get money, you can join a bank for that reason. But the reality of that work is that it's not interesting, and the people who want to do stuff don't do it. But right, they end exactly. up finding people just sitting around their office who are lost, and they give those people jobs. They're like, and hey, you want to give you a little more money? Uh, just stay here for a few more hours. They made right. me an analyst. That's, that's that's what they did. I see how that works. All right, so you're, you're temping at this bank job, and then what happens? You're approached at a party about a blackjack team? I approached somebody. I overheard a conversation uh, between this person who I call Gary in the book. I changed people's names in the book, but he was talking to a friend of mine about card counting, and I I had heard that phrase before, but I didn't know what it was. I thought it was poker. I thought it had to do with poker. I didn't know about blackjack. I didn't know there was a legitimate system that could actually give you an edge in a casino game. I thought that was craziness. Right. That sounds insane to you. It, had uh, you ever gambled before? Not. Materially, I mean, I got to Vegas on my 21st birthday. I put some money in a right. slot machine. Quickly saw, as most sort of sensible people do, right? The odds are against you. It's just so futile. It's so, okay, it's so, so futile. So they explained to you this concept. You're kind of intrigued. Is there a formal invitation to join? There's not a formal invitation. What's happened is that Gary went to the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. He played on the MIT Blackjack team that was the subject of other, much less interesting books than mine. Right, exactly. Uh, and an incoherent movie that was so... I can swear on this Oh, program, you can right? say whatever you want. All right. Well, I, I'm not going to, but assume that I've just sworn about <laughs> how bad 21 is because it's it's just... Right. Really, really bad movie. That was kind of the... It seemed very Hollywood. Your, your, your story seems much more nitty-gritty, a lot more honest... A more a more real account of it. So, okay, Gary had done some work with the MIT blackjack team. Right. He's hanging around New York. Right. And what he's he's like kind of the chief. He decides to put this blackjack team together. He's he's the local chief. He's the chief of the th- what become the three of us. The guy he's talking to, Bill and myself, and uh, and and him. We end up just practicing together once a week. And there's no invitation. There's no sort of path to joining a team at that point. He is in touch with MIT people. He actually still plays. Right, so he's he's kind of maybe not overtly saying this, but he's kind of scouting for a team. He's just like, hey guys, you want to hang out and practice? Is yeah, that how it goes? A, a little bit. And he's nostalgic because he used to do it. A big part of Blackjack for him, he went on a few trips in college, but a big part of it for him was just getting together every week with these people and swapping right, these the stories. Right, the camaraderie. And it used to be that he was listening to the stories and was like thinking about how dazzling it sounded. And now with with me and Bill, he was in a position to be the teacher. 
and to right. tell he us saw, stuff. Right, he saw. He's like, oh, some young bucks, I can train them. Right, and that's and that's how he was looking for friends and stuff. He was new to so the city. So explain explain how the system goes as far as the counting itself. It it goes in a nutshell. It's like this: you go plus one, minus one inside your head, and that's a reductive. That's simplified, but it's not much more complicated than that in the in the fundamental sense. What the the reason that blackjack is beatable is that you know they deal it out of a deck, right? And every card that's been dealt is gone. It's not in the deck anymore. And so what that means is that the composition of the deck changes. The composition of the thing that determines right, the Right, it has a the memory. Gamble. The deck has a memory. Right, exactly. It's as if with every spin of the roulette wheel, they took the winning number off. That would change the na- the, the nature right, of it. Right, yeah, you would have odds. better odds for certain numbers as the game progressed. Exactly. And so with Blackjack, as certain cards are dealt, disappear, other cards, uh, other cards remain. And it turns out that in this particular game, some of the cards are really, really good for the player, like much better than they are for the house. So when you find a deck that is unusually rich in those cards, the player can actually identify a favorable situation. The so how does it work? If the, if is it the face cards and the aces, if they're still left in the deck, that's a favorable situation for the player, right? Yes, exactly. If there's, if there's a greater than normal concentration of those. Okay, so then essentially how it works is... There's someone there keeping count, keeping track of how hot the deck is. When the deck gets really hot, they signal someone who is kind of the money guy, right? The the guy who's going to be placing the big bets. He comes in and then he starts betting, knowing that it's a hot deck. In in a nutshell, that's right. The the most important thing for winning in this game is that you have to alter the size of your bet a lot. That's what's tough about actually counting cards for real money, is that you have to bet very small when the odds are not in your favor and much, much bigger when they are in your favor. And that pattern is really conspicuous. And one thing that teams do is what you described. They separate the roles of the person who places the small bet, looks for good situations, and the big player, the BP so-called, who comes in the middle of the deck blasting away. Okay, so he introduces you to this concept. Things are going well. When does it officially go on? What, What happens? Does he say... Okay, guys, this is it. We're a blackjack team. We're blood brothers. <laughs> is there some moment? Is there initiation? Do you is get paddled? Or? You get branded? How does it? How do you guys become like? All right, let's do this. Let's go after this. Let's get a big chunk of money and let's go for it. Well, where it really begins, he brings me on a couple of trips with MIT, and I take a couple of tests. They call them checkouts. These tests that you take to qualify for the team at a time when I'm not ready. The MIT checkouts are also very, very hard. Right? They are. They are right. More and they're rigorous. and they're super nerds, so they they're super stick nerds. to details. But if you're playing with a lot of money, it makes sense. It, it makes sense to a degree. I mean, the reality is that. Some of those guys were more interested in being nerdy like heroes than being real blackjack heroes who got money out of casinos. Right. So they, they, I they think like doing math in there. From heads. from watching stuff and from reading books about it, it seems like part of them they just like the idea of the math of it. They just like beating the math, not necessarily even making the money. Did you feel like that was true? Uh, that was my impression of especially the MIT group that I encountered at the time that I encountered it, it was a group whose glory days was sort of behind it. It was a lot less active, and there was a lot more sort of thinking about stuff and talking about stuff, um, which is obviously what I'm doing right now. So yeah, who yeah no, I, this is cool, who, though. Who am I to but I, I think there's probably talk. plenty of guys out there listening going, you can't really count at blackjack. But you're you're breaking it down so you can. So you go out there, you do the so, test. Right, and I failed the MIT test on two different occasions. The way it really got going for me was that I eventually quit my job. Uh, at a time when Gary had been telling me about a new team, I call this team Mossad in my book. Uh, it's not our real or actual official sure. like the name that we went by. I changed it. But um, I had started to hear about them from Gary. They were based in New York. They were not an MIT group, although they had some MIT crossover. So that's how he had first gotten in touch. Okay. With how, many, how many guys are in a team? Um, it was growing at that point. So it was maybe 
eight or nine at the time, and they were start they were adding they new were players for new on guys. a regular basis. Yes. Okay. Um, and it was it was sort of a uniquely good time, I think, in the history of Vegas. Uh, for this specific style of play. They were adding players. And Gary said, look, I'm going to put you in touch with them uh, at some point. And I quit my job on the basis of, the, basically on the basis of that. So also, you're, you I, just realize Gary is, is good enough at, at, at producing this and showing you that you – or you see the MIT team winning all this money, and you're like, all right, this is legit. I'm going to quit my job, and I'm going to go for it. Well, I know it's legit also because there's there's no – you don't have to invest money at all at any point to make money with a blackjack team. These people just give you a cut of the win. So if somebody else is taking all the risk, it's pretty easy to think, well, I've got a little bit of savings. I can live if this doesn't pan out. Right. Let's see what happens. That was my attitude. But months went by when my phone didn't ring, and Gary kept saying he would put us in touch. And finally the call came, and it was like, there, we, we want you to test tomorrow, the next day. And I did that. I was At this point, my skills were a little more developed. And I went, uh, took the checkout and passed it. And the person who had administered the checkout, who was uh, a team manager, looked at me and said, well, look, what are you doing next week? And uh, I said, nothing. And he said, it's time to buy yourself a ticket to Vegas. And that was it. I, I flew out the next week. Um, again, still not knowing describe your Describe your first weekend. How much money do you win? <laughs> um, my cut of that trip was about $1,300, which for me was like insane. Oh, $1,300 $1, It was took me five days to earn it. It was more. My rent at that time was $600. I lived in a very humble, small room on the corner of 79th Street and Broadway, a former maid's room in this apartment. Right, but gives you, little, gives you a my little taste. My expenses were low. Um, right, and so it's it, it was my that was my cut. And, you know, and, and, and still at the moment that I actually arrived in Vegas, it was like utterly chaotic. At the time that I touched down, the trip had a big win. And in the course of my first day there, they proceeded to vaporize the entire win and lose all this money. Um, and so I w- it was a confusing situation. It's frustrating because you got to, you know, if you're, if you're doing the math over this long period of time, obviously you're going to have some hot streaks and some cold streaks, but inevitably, if you're stacking the odds in your favor, it will pay off. But it must be like when you hit that hot streak, you're like, oh, yeah, this is this is amazing. Nothing can go wrong, but eventually the odds kind of catch up to you. So, all right, so you, you get a little taste there. Now, what when did you have, like, what would you say was your best night? I read in the thing, you at one point you won $76,000. Was that on one trip? Yeah, I think it was 78. Actually, that was, um, that trip, that session, that happened in one session. That happened in four hours. The four hours. Plus, uh, wow. plus about 78. <laughs> Josh, just take us through what it's like. <laughs> you're four hours. You're up seventy-eight thousand dollars. What do you feel like? Well, it was an incredible session for a lot of reasons. One of the things that happened. This took place at the Aladdin. Okay, what used to be called the Aladdin. Now it's Planet Hollywood. It's gone bankrupt, not because of us. Uh, but there, there were illustrations, even in the way they dealt with us, that their management was not altogether, you know, <laughs> ready for prime time on the Las Vegas Strip. This is a casino that the weekend it opened in the summer of 2000 got whacked by our count teams and I have reason to suspect a few others. There were a ton of card counters in there and they let them play a long time. And so they saw a lot of these BPs coming into the middle of their eight-deck shoes and their six-deck shoes. It was mainly eight-deck. BPs are the 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 big big players. Those are the guys coming in, throwing the big amounts of money that the other guys who are kind of keeping track of the numbers, they tip them off and the big guys come in to reap the money. Exactly. And from what I heard, there were so many count 
there were so many count teams or, or card counters in the casino that our BP, one of our BPs would come to a table. We had multiple BPs in the casino at the same time. They would come to a table at the exact same moment that some other guy that they didn't know who turned all out to also be a BP for a different <laughs> county. Wow. So there was another the blackjack card counting team exactly. going at it. With, now, you, right. you, you talk in the book a lot with these confrontations with casino management. How bad did it ever get? Obviously, you hear the stories of being taken in the back room, like casino and being smashed with hammers. It's, it, Vegas seems a little more corporate nowadays. What would they do? Would they just come up to you and just look you dead in the eye and go, "All right, guys, the jig's up. Get the fuck out of here." How did they? How did the confrontations go? What was the worst confrontation you had with casino management? Uh, there was a gamut. There was a spectrum of what they would do. Some of the places were really tightly run, professionally run. Certainly in Vegas, these corporate-owned properties, they have nothing to gain in their corporate management structure. They have nothing to gain by allowing their guards or their head of security or their surveillance guys to talk shit to us. They gain nothing by right. doing that, right? All they do is expose themselves to legal liability. They don't scare us away um, at all. In fact, it stimulates us to come back. A big part of the excitement of card counting is this thought that something might happen that's bad you got the rush. exciting like that's part of what we're looking for so they shouldn't do that yet sometimes they did a little bit and one of the most one of the most dramatic the real dramatic things that happened to me actually happened one of them in california they were both in tribal casinos where, where people look seemed like they were more willing to cross the line than they are in las vegas but one interesting <laughs> thing that happened i went to a casino bally's in las vegas um I mean, this is a true story, so I guess I can just say the name of the casino. Yeah, right? sure. Who cares? It's not, it's not slander. It just happened. Um, it was, it was. I forget which shift it was though, so I can't really identify sure. the individual. But uh, it was, it was Bally's in Vegas, and I had gone there in some getup that was just ridiculous. Where I was, when I was BPing, I would put on costumes that were pretty flamboyant. Did a lot of leather pants, a lot of. Yeah, sort you talk of about different stuff. characters in the book that you use to kind of hide your identity identity so you could keep coming back. Right? right, and and to appear like and to sell them a story that would distract them from what I was doing. And a lot of times that would be like flamboyant, like I would talk very effeminately, like I'm a sort of a <laughs> really like whatever sort of glammed yeah. out homosexual. That would be distracting to the sort of frat boy mentality uh, that you get in the pit in Las Vegas. And they right. can't these are people who cannot hold two ideas in their head at the same time. So right. like you are either uh, you know, a flamboyant homosexual or a card counter, but you, you can't, can't be both. both. They can't think about those things. So if you can distract, so I would do that a lot. So I went into Bally's looking pretty flamboyantly, and I don't know if you've been to Bally's in the past like 40 years, but this is not a happening place. Yeah, it hasn't yeah, been yeah, for a yeah, while. There's, there are not people there. Who, I don't picture you know, a flamboyant homosexual. That's not his place to go. No, no, not, not, not so much. Not certainly not since the the Follies de Berger closed or whatever that show was. <laughs> but, um, but there. It's just a really staid, uninteresting, quiet, dead environment in there. So I drew a lot of attention right away. I walked up to this table. And this was a time when I was very hot in Las Vegas. I didn't have a good shot of getting down, but our attitude was uh, the specific rule of thumb is don't bar yourself. Let them bar you. Walk in and right. try. Don't say I'm not going in there. Let them give you Let the Let them try to want. try to enforce a policy of kicking you out. So I went into Bally's. Immediately the pit like froze up, made a phone call. Within a minute, head of security, somebody who introduced himself as such, wearing a suit, was there with guards. He says, I, I want you to cash your chips and I want to talk to you. And I was like, all right. So I went and I cashed my chips. He let me do that first. And at the point that we've cashed my chips... Uh, there's nothing more for me to do at that casino. I right. don't have any reason to stay. So I start walking out, which is what any reasonable card counter would do. Yeah, exactly. I know that he wants to talk to me. <laughs> yeah, what's he going to talk about? I'm, it's not like I really want to catch up. About right, anything. there's nothing you so guys have. I just start walking away. And he, in his sort of mind, he's the authority figure, and uh, he is like startled that I'm not heeding his instruction. And he yeah. calls after me, like, hold on. And then he starts shouting, stop, really heatedly. And... Uh, I don't stop. Right, you're not doing anything illegal. That's that's a big thing. Uh, obviously, not everyone knows this, but you're allowed to use mental, 
ability. You're not just allowed to use anything mechanical or electrical to give you an advantage. That's exactly right. And so, uh, you know, knowing that I've broken no law and that he has no right to detain me, I keep moving. But he, what happens is he starts shouting stop and stop, and the guards are coming behind me. And you never know. If their boss gets emotional, they might get emotional. Well-trained Vegas security, they do understand the difference between a criminal cheater whom they can detain to hold for law enforcement and a card counter. They understand that those things are different, and they yeah, have no legal way to detain card counters. They, they know that. But as this guy starts to get emotional, I don't know what he's going to do. And finally, he shouts out. And, I, you know, I'm dressed pretty extravagantly, like what happened. <laughs> and we have this whole... Fabulous. We have this formal thing that we do. We understand the cameras are watching us, especially especially in a situation like this. There's there's video footage being recorded. We have a protocol that we follow. We keep our hands at our sides so they can't say he's going into his pocket for a weapon or that we're threatening them. We, we move towards the exit directly. He shouts to me, stop or I will bring you down, which is something that nobody had shouted in Vegas right, before. Right, yeah. Like, especially a senior guy like that. It's an odd threat, yeah. too. I'll bring you down. Exactly. And I thought at that point that like maybe it would happen. And I remember pa- like pausing mentally. I kept walking. So what happens? Did he end up tackling you? I had the feeling that he might, and I and I, just, I had a moment of deciding, like, should I proceed or should I actually stop? Because this is actually more sort of intense language and emotion than they usually use. And I thought, you know what? The videotape's rolling. We'll subpoena it tonight if they actually do something. Like, let's roll. Let's see what they're going to do. And at that point, I was nearly to the door. I had to go up a set of stairs. I thought they would get me there if they were going to. They did not. The guards were, in fact, well-trained. Wow. And I pushed through the door, and I was outside. Now, uh, that, I, yeah. oh, sorry, sorry to ahead. interrupt, but I, I want to get to this before we... Got to wrap it up, but you talk about one of the acts you used, one of the characters was the Tard. Would describe that character. The Tard was born of desperation, right? <laughs> and the Tard talked in a way, I mean, I I suppose I should not do the voice of the Tard. It would be too scandalous. But the point is... Oh, no, the, the, no, let it go, man. Let it go. Let yeah, it feel about. free. Look, here, here's what the Tard is, all right? The Tard is a guy... I want to he, see this character. The, you used your improv comedy from days back. <laughs> That's right. Here's how improv translates into blackjack success. Sure. The Tard is born in a casino in Indiana where I have no shot of getting down. It's similar to Bally's. There's just no reason they're going to let me play. I was I was sent by the trip manager on that trip to play there with absolutely no shot of success. I walked onto the boat as I was a riverboat. As I walked on, I knew the only way they were going to let me play was if they actually believed something really weird had happened or was like wrong with me. And so I walked up to the pit and started talking. I basically, I basically said, <laughs> I, I want to play to the maximum, to the maximum, please. And that's, and that's what I would do. I would just talk that way <laughs> the whole time. And these casinos are like, oh, it's jackpot. <laughs> I, dr- I would drool all over myself. I didn't know the first time if it was going to work, but it turned out this worked so well. There was a senior guy in the casino who signed off on it. He actually clearly loved like this guy. And I started using this act. And I used it all around. I spent a year a year at a point when I shouldn't have really been able to bet the money to BP anymore myself. That part of my life should have been over. I won $100,000 betting the money in this That's character. That's insane. Acting... It- we got a great country here. You can make a hundred grand traveling around the world, playing blackjack, acting like a retard. This is the best country be in the world. Guy. So now, why aren't you doing it anymore? Why aren't you coaching the team? Why? What got you out of the game? Well, I our team went in sort of separate ways for for a number of reasons. One is that that sort of golden period for call and play for our style of play in Vegas came to an end, in part because they got tired of us and some similar groups doing it as actively as we were, in part because there was consolidation on the strip. There were fewer. Uh, companies that own the strip casinos so and their surveillance easier, rooms were easy, they had you know less databases to draw from they had, it was easier to pick you out yeah their surveillance rooms were communicating much more effectively um, 
And also they started changing rules substantially. The, the game that you find today in Las Vegas is worth much less for our purposes than it used to be for a number of reasons, including because of some rules in the game, like a rule called Hit Soft 17, which is very bad. They didn't used to have uh, really at all in Las Vegas. It's now commonplace there, along with eight-deck shoes. And uh, caps on mid-shoe betting, which was uh, integral to what That's where they get you. Um, they, they don't want you coming in mid-shoe when it's hot, throwing the big money. So, that's a, so now you, you, you have this... Good life, it obviously goes away. In the book, you end up talking that you you get into some trouble with online poker, but I some real trouble, sure. Um, I gotta ask, what about the women? You're you're out there, <laughs> you got you got tons of cash. I imagine there must have been a lot of chicks going around, right? Uh, you know what? I mean, I guess there were there were some chicks, as you call them. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, feel like a lot of people call them chicks. Well, it's true, but I mean, here's the thing: is that I guess there were some women, but I don't know. I don't know if blackjack had much to do with the the women that there were. Our approach to Las Vegas was very business oriented. A lot of things did not happen during our blackjack trips. Drinking did not happen. Drugs were seriously, seriously out. Like, they're very seriously because the right. comedy... You don't want we, some we, guy coked up with... Uh, hey, no, uh, I know I'm not supposed to bet it here, but I'm yeah. feeling it, man. I'm yeah. feeling it. Well, both for, both for, like, sobriety, like, seriousness of what you're doing, also because you run serious legal risks if you're dealing with large sums of cash in combination with narcotics. Having cash is legal. Having cash plus drugs is intent to distribute. It's a serious Right, you thing. could be in a lot of trouble. Right, so we, we actually ran a very tight ship in Vegas, so the partying that did happen didn't really happen there. Okay. But did you find that you're making all this quick money, fast money? Well, I guess, you know, you're doing very well financially. Did you feel like that it was made a lot easier with women? Did that give you a certain sense of confidence that you didn't have before? It might have given here's the problem that I have, Sean, I'll be honest with you. I, and this is a bad thing to say when I'm trying to ingratiate myself to an audience, but I don't like people so much. And and when I meet <laughs> yeah, them, who does? I, right. So I tend to be disgusted by them upon first encounter, and I just sure. assume I just assume that they they must be so horrible if they if they're trying to look for new friends. Who doesn't already have the friends that they? Right. Need? Exactly. Who's and, fishing for new friends? Right. And so if you're familiar with things like running game and this concept of trying to be attracted to women and to and to draw them by immediately dismissing and despising them, that turns out only to work with some women and not not necessarily all of them. So uh, I don't know that I had more more sex than the average person. Maybe I did. I don't know how much sex the average person had. Sure, I'm just fa- I'm just fascinated with this life. I'm I'm fascinated by the entire story. I had sex. I'd like to put that on the okay, record. Okay, well there you go. See? <laughs> Good, because I was getting real bummed over here. I was like, <laughs> no, no. this guy's winning hundreds of thousand dollars. Like, there should be chicks and coke everywhere. And there's I no chicks to, and no coke. I, I had very special sex on okay. on one occasion in a limousine, which is very nice. Well. Um, to hear it all, you'll have to pick up the book, Josh Axelrad, Repeat Until Rich. Josh, I appreciate you for coming on the program. Sean, and uh, make you. sure you check it out. We'll put a link on SeanTGreen.com. You can get it through Amazon. Adam, thanks for being on the show. You know it, man. All right. And uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in the program every Thursday, 8 o'clock, L.A. Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to The Green Room. Don't forget to check out SeanTGreen.com and check, click the iTunes link to subscribe today. Really naive, shit, she was still only 19.